0: We thank you for the victory that is truly ours. We thank you, Father, that even though the enemy may form weapons against us, they shall not prosper, for the greater one lives within us. And so, Father, tonight as we continue our study, we just pray that by the precious Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding, that you would give us revelation, that we might take these truths and apply them to our lives. So, Father, we just ask your blessing now upon this time. Glorious name of Jesus, Amen and Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, Hallelujah. Well, I got a text from the Langs this afternoon, and they said hi. Huh? <clears throat> said they're sitting in 100 degree weather. I said it's 84, and it feels like 100 to me here already. So I'm glad I'm not. And Terry says, "Well, it's a little difference between nine percent or six percent humidity." Yeah, yeah. I looked it up here, and it was forty-four percent. So, so anyway, we're we'll continuing our study this evening, and uh, we're looking at the believer's authority. And tonight, we're going to be the title of the message is, "Whom He May Devour." And it's talking about our adversary that he wants to devour us, he wants to bring death and destruction into our life. And uh, you know, where, where authority comes in is being aware of, number one, who our enemy is and that we have an adversary, but then also recognizing that he is a defeated foe and through the blood of Jesus, through the word of God, through the power of the name of Jesus, we have, we have authority over him. You know, the other thing that we need to acknowledge and recognize is that we're in a spiritual battle. We look around us and we, we encounter physical things every day that we have to deal with. But we oftentimes overlook the fact that we are in the midst of a, a spiritual battle. And until we recognize that, we continue to fight it in a natural way. And, uh, you know, the enemy is a defeated foe. But, you know, uh, if we try to battle him in the, in the natural, uh, we're going to get defeated every single time. And so let's start out tonight by looking at uh, Romans, the sixth chapter and the sixteenth verse. And it says, do you not know? And so, Paul is basically saying, we ought to know this. He says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? Uh, Whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. And you know, Again, just, just a reminder, when the Bible talks about death, it isn't necessarily making reference to what we see as death when we die, when we get buried in a tomb. Death in the scriptures basically means any form of separation. You know, so really death is when our, our spirit and our soul is separated from our physical body. That doesn't mean that we cease to exist, we continue. To exist because we're a spirit being, we're going to live through all of eternity. Um, but what it's what it's what death is a separation. So, what we call physical death is simply our spirit and our soul being separated from our, our physical body. But we encounter death in other areas as well. You know, we, we experience death, whether it be in relationship, we can experience death in our finances because we've. Uh, use their money inappropriately. We can experience death physically. Even though we're still living, we can lose our health. And so here where he's talking about um, death, he's not necessarily talking about dying. He's talking about that separation. And he's saying whoever we submit to, whatever we yield to, that's what's going to lord over our lives. Now, Now, the thing about the Holy Spirit, the thing about God is that uh, he is our Lord, but he doesn't want to lord over us. In other words, he wants to give us direction, he wants to give us instruction, he wants us to submit unto him. Now, the thing about the enemy is that he wants to lord over us, he wants to dominate us. And that's why we see in the natural where we have things uh, in the natural that begin to dominate us. You know, you've heard me share this before, how if we go back to the book of beginnings, we go back to Genesis, and in the first chapter where he creates man, and it says that he gives him dominion over all the earth. And oftentimes when I go into the prisons, this is one of the truths that I try to bring out to them, is that we are to have dominion over creation because of the position that we were given in Christ Jesus. But what, what we see around us, what we see in creation is that creation has dominion over man. And you say, well, pastor, how, how, how do you see that? Well, uh, if you've ever encountered anybody that uh, has a problem with alcoholism, uh, that has dominion over their life. They lose control of their life. You take an individual that, that gets uh, dominated by drugs those drugs dominate them. They're, they're no longer in control. And so what happens is creation then begins to have dominance over them. And that's why, uh, as a rule, you know, in our secular programs, when people are wanting to get free of drugs or alcohol, um, their recovery rate is about 20%. In other words, 80% of the people fall back into it once again. But when you go to some place like Teen Challenge, which is Christ-based, and they present them to it the truth of the spiritual battle that they're in the midst of, their recovery rate, rather than being 20%, is about 80%. Is the other end of the spectrum. Now, why is that? It's because to, to overcome a spiritual battle, you've got to battle it spiritually. And so we have to recognize that we're in the midst of a a spiritual battle that we have an enemy out there that wants to steal, that wants to kill, that wants to destroy, that wants to raise havoc with our life. And until we recognize that, we're in a position where he can have, where he can have dominance in our life. And so, who are we going to submit to? You know, And this, again, is why the Word of God is so important. And by the way, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, we're, we're studying believer's authority. We're going to be spinning... Mucho weeks talking about this, is that Spanish? Mucho? It is. <laughs> just through osmosis it just came into me. You know, probably isn't used in the right context but uh, at least it's, well let's move on. So, uh, but we need to recognize that we're in a battle if we don't recognize it. Uh, and, and we need to see the significance and the importance of the Word of God. You know, and again, that's what I was getting to. That's why the Word is so important. You know, anything that we do in our spiritual walk, apart from the Word of God, is fruitless. You know, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It doesn't come in any other way. You know, you can, uh, you can, you can pray, you can fast, you can... You know, I, I had a friend up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, when we were pastoring up there, he would go on 40-day fasts. And, uh, you know, and, and the, the, the point, what he was trying to do was he, was he was trying to strengthen and enhance his relationship with God. And he thought by, by suffering that way, by going through that 40-day fast, um, he was going to produce that. But it's like I said on on Sunday, you know, fasting without prayer is just simply a hunger strike. And I think a lot of times that's what we do. We try to make this sacrifice to gain favor with God. But what we've got to understand is we already have favor with God because of what Jesus has already done for us. And until we recognize that, we will spend our life still continually trying to get into that position. And when we begin to recognize that, that's when we begin to submit to Jesus or we submit to the Word of God. And when we do that, that's when we're gonna experience the blessings. But when we begin to submit to the world, we submit to the things around us, that's, that's when those things begin to dominate our life and they'll rule over us. In James, the book of James, the first chapter, the 20th verse, it's in your notes but I prefer reading it out of the book. James one twenty. it says, James one twenty. for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, and so, in other words, this is kind of going in a different direction but, you know, oftentimes we get angry about stuff. We, stuff bothers us in the world. I, I don't know about you. There, there's things that go on around us that just, you know, <clears throat> that's why I don't watch the news very much anymore because I just get, I get the wrath of Schroeder. I want to whoop somebody. And I, I just get so fed up with the stupidity that's in the world. You know, and I, I don't understand it. If they just asked me, I'd get everybody straightened out. You know, just like... <laughs> like that, but you know, nobody seems to care about it. But you know what, that wrath doesn't produce the righteousness of God. You know, isn't it interesting, in so much of the church, they think that our God is an angry God. And because he's an angry God, somehow that anger is gonna produce righteousness in our lives. But you know what, anger produces just the opposite of that. The Bible tells us it's the love of God. You know, it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. And so what does that mean? That means for us to understand that we serve a good God, that's what brings us to the point that we want to serve Him. You know, if, 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 if fear and threats would have done it, I would have never needed Jesus. You know, because I grew up in a church with the. Uh, the fear with the threats and, you know, oh, you know, you do that, you're going to go to hell. Well, you know what? That wasn't enough to motivate me. But what motivated me was when I began to understand and began to see the goodness of God. And that's where we see the goodness of God leads to repentance. And we know what repentance is. Repentance means change. Repentance, I'm going this direction, I'm going to repent. And so I'm not, now I'm going to go in this direction. I go in a whole new direction. And so that's what the goodness of God will do in your life and in my life. What the enemy wants to do is he wants to get us mad. He wants to get us angry. He wants to get us into strife. He wants to get us into envy. He wants to get us into all those things. Why? Because then we're not gonna be in harmony with one another. And those are the tactics of the evil one. And what his tactics wanna do is to bring us to that point where we're going to be susceptible to his deception in our lives. Still in the book of James, but in James 3.16, it says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Where there's self-seeking, where there's, um, where there's envy, is going to lead us in the direction of confusion. And so we wonder why is there so much confusion in the world? I mean, have you have you noticed? The world is full of confusion. Why is that? The world is full of confusion because of envy, because of, how does he put it? Um, self-seeking, because we're thinking about self. And what does it do? It leads to confusion. Because, and, and I think especially in the church. Because oftentimes in the church, we, don't, we, we, we see what we're supposed to have through Christ Jesus, but we don't see the manifestation of it. And so then we, we have confusion. And why do we have the confusion? Because we need to go back up to what we read about, read earlier. And that's the fact that whoever we, yield ourselves to, whoever we submit ourselves to, that's what's gonna have lordship over our life. And so, you know, I, I know a lot of people have a problem with that because, well, you know, I'm under grace, and since I'm under grace, I can do whatever I want. You know, how many of you know that I'm a grace preacher? But you know, if you understand grace, you understand you don't get to do whatever you want. If you really understand grace, you understand the lordship of Jesus, you know, I, I've seen, you know, after 38 years in the ministry, 45 years being born again, being in all the different camps and so forth. I've seen the extremes. I've seen people in both ditches. You know, I've I've seen people in the ditch where grace is concerned, and oftentimes they have this idea just doesn't matter. I can do whatever that I want to do because Jesus loves me. This I know, for my Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they're weak, but he is strong. You know, but and, and, and all that's true. Except, there's another element that I've come to understand, and that is, if I truly understand grace and the operation of faith, I also understand the Lordship of Jesus. And if I understand the Lordship of Jesus, That means I'm going to put Him first in my life. I'm going to root out those things that try to hold me back, that try to keep me from fulfilling the plan that He has for my life. Because ultimately, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to keep each and every one of us from fulfilling the destiny, the plan, the purpose that God has for each and every one of us. And so if he can draw us in the way of the world, he can draw us away from the things of God, uh, we're going to be uh, susceptible to that. And the number one way that he's going to do that is by being self-seeking. In other words, focusing upon ourselves. You know, putting ourselves before the things of God. And oftentimes we do that because we don't see the relevance of the Scriptures. We don't see the relevance of what God has truly done for us. But we need to get a hold of that and the way we do that is, is through the Word. <clears throat> I guess I never did t- finish talking about my, my friend up in Waupaca that, that got into th- the works. It, everything sounded so spiritual. But you know, in reality, he almost destroyed his health. I mean, I think to this day he has uh, digestive problems and so forth and it goes back to the fact that he, he abused his body. You know, guess what? God is not going to ask us to abuse our bodies. I like what Brother Hagan says. Of course, I like to eat, so I would naturally like what Brother Hagan had to say more. You know, <clears throat> but Brother Hagan says, whenever I've prayed and fasted for anything, it's never taken me more than three days to get the answer. Why are we praying and fasting for something? You know, I think oftentimes we're doing that trying to move God ain't going to move God. <laughs> he's too big. And number one, he's already done everything that he's going to do. So what's the point of prayer and fasting? Prayer and fasting is me getting myself into a position where I can hear what God has to say. What Brother Hagan says is when I would do that, when I would, I would determine that I'm going to sacrifice food for a period of time so that I can hear from God, and I'm going to spend time in prayer and in study of the Word. He says, it never took more than three days for me to get the answer. Because ultimately, that's what we're supposed to be seeking. We're We're supposed to be seeking His will. But again, that's where I think oftentimes confusion has come in, because people have had the idea that the purpose of prayer and fasting is for us to get God to do what we want Him to do. That's totally wrong. I, I shared the scripture on Sunday about <clears throat> the man that, that uh, brought his son to Jesus, and his disciples weren't able to cast the devil out of him. He had, he had a spirit of epilepsy, and uh, they weren't able to do it, and so they, the man brought him to Jesus. And uh, Jesus said, um, All things are possible to him that believes. And the Father says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And Jesus never addressed and said, you don't have enough faith. He he just, he ministered to him because he had told the disciples that if we have the faith faith the size of a mustard seed, we'll say to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, or another version says the mulberry bush, that it'll be done. But then at the end of that, it's in the Mark version of it, he, he says... This kind, speaking about the demon, only comes out by much prayer and fasting, and so a lot of people what they've interpreted that to say is that there's we're we're getting into demons again tonight, aren't we? You know. But anyway, you know. But they have they've interpreted to say that there's special demons that the only way that you can get them out is by spending time in prayer and fasting so that you can overpower that demon to cast it out. That's not what he was saying at all. He was saying, for us to be in a position where we can bring deliverance in the lives of individuals, we need to be living a life of prayer and fasting. He said much prayer and fasting. That means it wasn't just one time. It was a lifestyle. It was, and, and you know, fasting can just be setting aside a time that we devote to hear from God, and we'll hear from Him. But it's prayer and fasting. In other words, we're to be in a position where we're able to hear from Him. And uh, if we're willing, (laughs) excuse me. Hate microphones. But we'll be in a position to be able to do that. 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, and the 15th verse. 2 Corinthians 2, 5. for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. You have a aroma about you. It says, for we are the fragrance of God, are, are of God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the ones who are <clears throat> uh, the aroma of death leading to death. In other words, we, we, have a, we have a certain smell about us. If we're in Christ, we have that smell of the anointing. It's not with your physical nostrils, Sean. But we have, a, we have a fragrance about us. And that's why, you know, <clears throat> you, can, you can go into a certain environment and the people don't even know you, uh, but there's something about you that they don't like. And a lot of times, what that is, is they don't even know what it is. And, you know, they wouldn't attribute it to a smell, and smell, smell probably isn't the correct thing, but they sense something. And what they sense is the Spirit of God. That's why oftentimes, you know, you can be running into individuals and you can just think there's something about that person. There's something different about that person. And then later on, you find out that they're, they're a born-again Christian and they're, they, they believe like you do, you have like precious faith, and there's just a draw there. Well, that's what he's talking about there as far as there being an aroma. It's dealing more with our attitudes Um, the words, our actions. And you see, as as believers, this is a thing that we have to see if we're going to be effective. If we're gonna walk in the authority that truly belongs to us is, well, B under Roman numeral two there. It says, your thoughts, your attitudes, your words, your actions are either released through the, either releases the power of God in your life or they're releasing the power of the devil. And that's why, you know, there has to be some, there has to be some harmony in our lives. In other words, what we think is going to be an indicator of what we, what we, what we, what we say. Yeah. What we say is going to be an indicator of our actions. You know, what do, what do people see? Do they see consistency in our life? Do they, do they hear and, and see the same things with us? Or do we... Uh, Do we have a great talk, but a horrible walk? There needs to be a consistency between the two of them. And so what happens is, where that consistency comes in, it determines which direction we're flowing, which way we're following, who are we following? Are we following the things of God, or are we following the ways of the world? God is good, and he's doing everything he can to save bless heal and prosperous but we do have an enemy who's going to, going about seeking whom he may devour and you see that's where that's where it's so important that we know who our god is you know because there's so many attributes that god is credited with that has nothing to do with God. You know, we, we, we have our insurance policies and your, your insurance, uh, it, it'll cover this, 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 but it won't cover this, 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 and other acts of God. And the acts of God, you know, we got an act of God going on out in the East Coast right now with a hurricane. And oh, why is God doing this? Well, it's, it's a result of this fallen world that we live in. And... Uh, We need to to recognize it. And rather than blame God for the things that are going on in the world around us, uh, we need to know who He is, so that we can have a thankful heart for what He's already done and what He's continuing to do in our life. But the moment that our conversation gets negative, what we do is we begin to open the door for the evil one, for the enemy. Notice what it says. It's, it's in your notes. It's in 1 Peter 5 8. I'm really liking this study because I'm having to look up all these passages that, you know, when I was first saved, we spent hours on these passages. And, and I don't know why we still don't spend hours on them, but I haven't. And it says in, in 1 Peter 5 8, it says, Be sober. In other words be serious about this be vigilant you know and and so uh, vigilant applies that we need to be on guard and ready be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour Notice what it says, seeking whom he may devour. That means he doesn't have authority to just come into our life and raise havoc. We we give him, in a sense, we give him permission to do do so. Seeking whom he may devour. He's going around looking for somebody to devour. And you know what's always so interesting? I, I brought this up Monday night up at Fort Dodge again. Um, whenever we get into this sort of thing, people always bring up Job. Oh, poor Job. See what God did to Job. Well, I just wish people that would bring up Job would actually read Job. Because what they would find out is that Satan went before God and got permission. Satan thought, Job had a hedge of protection round about him. He didn't even realize that it was gone. It wasn't God that brought destruction into his life. Satan did. And the only thing that saved uh, Job was the fact that, that God said you can't take his life. And the other part of it is, that people fail to see, is depending on the scholar that you read after, the entire book of Job took between six and nine months that's the entire, you know, not the very end because he ended up with uh, seven times more cattle, sheep, children, everything. He ended up with seven times more than he'd ever had at the beginning. You know, that's where a lot of times people get the idea that when the enemy steals from you, he's got to return to you sevenfold because that's what he did with with Job. Uh, I don't know if there's enough Scripture to... Uh, totally stake your whole existence on that, but sounds good to me, praise the Lord. You know, so it, 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 but God is not the destroyer. It's the enemy. And so he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, you know, if you're gonna be in a fight, you have gotta realize you're gonna be in a fight. You've gotta understand that you have an adversary and if you have any real smarts about you, you're going to have an understanding of your adversary so that you can counter him. You know, because <clears throat> you're sitting there, I, I, I love watching Will play. You know, and uh, he he's, plays good on offense too, but I love to watch him on defense. But you can tell. That he knows what he's doing because he gets in the right place at the right time. But he's got to know his adversary, you know, whoever the team is that they're playing against. But see, that's how it is in, in life as well. We have an adversary, the enemy, and so we need to know his tactics. And his tactics haven't ever changed. He's a liar, he's a liar from the beginning. He's a deceiver. He wants to uh, give us a false front. He he wants to give you the appearance of one thing to draw us away from putting our trust and confidence in God. He, he, we've been talking about it a little bit, that that he wants to get us into that area of of unbelief. You know, and that's his number one tactic. That's That's what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He said to Eve, did God really say? Did he really say this? And that's what he, you know, is the Bible really true? Can you really trust the Bible? Can you really trust God? Well, the answer is a resounding yes, amen. We can, because he's not a man that he should lie. And so if there's one part that he's spoken to us that is not true, then we have a reason to be concerned. You know, I don't often uh, get a chance to see him because I'm I'm usually gone, but Monday morning I was running a little late and uh, uh, Hagee came on TV and Matthew, his son, was preaching in his uh, place and so... He got started preaching, so I just, I had to stay home and, and watch the whole thing. But he was talking about um, where the world is today, and he went, went back to 1948 when Israel was founded, and then 67 when uh, they, they took Jerusalem, and, and then he talked about the different things that were coming. And But then the ultimate end of it was was how the rapture is going to be taking place, and everything else is gonna tumble, but we're gonna be taken up. But the point that he was bringing out, and this is a point that I want us to see here, is that God is not a man that he should lie, and that's why you can read through the Old Testament, and every prophetic scripture, if you're reading through the scripture at the same pace that I am this year, you're you're reading Isaiah right now, and today you would have read about uh, the prophetic scriptures concerning Jesus, every one of those prophetic scriptures concerning Jesus came true. And those scriptures, that that prophecy was given 4,000 years before Jesus was birthed, before he came into manifestation in the earth as a physical being. And so God's not a man that he should lie in, so it isn't just, the promises that we have in the New Testament that we can be confident in. We can go back to the Old Testament and see the prophetic scriptures that were given that have all been fulfilled through Jesus. In other words, Jesus could come tonight because every prophetic scripture has been fulfilled. But I believe there's only one thing. I believe that God wants us in his presence. But I believe there's only one thing that's holding him back from sounding the trump and Jesus coming to get us. That's because he desires for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so he's given humanity opportunity uh, to come to him. And so what does the enemy want us to do? He wants to bring death and destruction into our life. We're saved and so we're going to heaven. So why does he care about us? Because if he can close our mouths, if he can stop us from fulfilling our purpose, he'll stop God's ultimate purpose, which is to have Jesus come back and receive those that are saved unto himself. And so he's an adversary, like a roaring lion. In other words, he's a bunch of noise. He's a bunch of noise. And what he wants to do is he wants to, he wants to scare the tar out of us. He wants to convince us. I had somebody that called me this morning, and they'd had a, had a dream. And I believe in dreams. The Bible says that in the latter days we're going to dream dreams. And we're going to have we're going to have visions. And so I believe that the the dream was a legitimate dream, uh, but it was it was it was dealing with a with a conflict. And you know what the enemy wanted to do was to bring fear into this person's life, so they would be wouldn't be confident to deal with things. Now I believe the dream was of God, because anyway, in my interpretation of the dream, it was God warning her that there was, or this person, I guess I gave it away that it was a her, didn't I? Warning her that uh, uh, there there was gonna be something coming up and be ready for it. And don't be fearful and don't shy away from it because that's what the enemy would wanna do because that's how he wants to work in our lives. In Psalms 141, verse three, it says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard over my mouth. Why? Because that's how we open the gate. That's how we open the way for him to be able to come in and bring destruction. It starts with words. Now, of course, that's actually not totally true. It starts with the thought. But then it goes into the words. And we begin to speak it out. And when we begin to speak it out, that's where we, we really open the door for, um, for destruction. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Cast down arguments. In every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. I always felt that this scripture was written for melancholies, you know, because that's the biggest issue that I have in my life as a melancholy, is taking thought captive, you know, because your mind just never shuts off. But you know, it's true for everybody. You know, and so, what does he say? He says, cast down arguments. You know what? <clears throat> There's a lot of people, they, they want you to argue the Word of God. I, I refuse to do it. Right. You know, I've, I've had people that want to debate me on something. I, I won't do it. You know, what, what, what's the point? You know, I did a study one time. Well, I didn't do the study. I read a, a study in my psychology magazine and they were talking about that when a person uh, gets into the gets into an argumentative mode when you begin to argue with somebody there's i, th- I think it's called endorphins or something like that that are released in the brain a- and they said you know you're arguing with somebody and it's just like everything's going right over their head they're not hearing the thing you're saying you know why that is because they're not hearing the thing that you're saying and see that's what people want to do with the word of god they want to argue why there's nothing to argue about. See the true or it's not. Right. And so there's no point in arguing about the word of God. If somebody wants to accept it, praise the Lord. If they don't want to accept it, continue to pray for them and send them scripture. Because that's the only thing that's going to change their life. But debating the word of God, <clears throat> how do you debate truth? <laughs> yeah. How do you debate truth? I can understand debating politics because both sides are idiots most of the time. But to debate the Word of God, how do we debate the Word of God? It's truth. And so we can't debate the Word of God. All we can do is get in agreement with the Word of God. And that's where the victory lies. And, uh, you know, it's just, it just, well then, pastor, why do we have all these different denominations because we won't accept truth. We can sit down and we can talk truth. And we may have a different view of the truth. But ultimately, it should all, it should all come back together. You know, over the last 36 years that I've been here, I've, uh, I've had wonderful fellowship with some of the pastors from other churches. And uh, Some of them would probably shock you. But it it was because we were able to find a place of agreement. If we could find nothing else, if we could agree upon Jesus Christ and he crucified, that the, the agree on the inerrant word of God, that it is unchanging You know, that we must be born again. Because some of this stuff is pretty basic. But you know what? You can fellowship on basic. You know, um, had a Baptist pastor, we had wonderful fellowship together. But I just never talked about the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the manifestation of tongues. But you know what? We had great fellowship. Had a Catholic priest. Had wonderful fellowship with him. We'd talk about the born-again experience. He was born again. Believed in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. There was a whole lot of other stuff we didn't talk about. You know, but we were able to have fellowship with one another. But you know, Sunday I talked about the importance, though, of like precious faith that you be surrounded with individuals that believe like you do so that when the time of crisis comes, you have somebody to lean upon, somebody that can build you up. Because, you know, like I I said on Sunday, I thank God for Jesus. And I have a relationship with him. But you know, sometimes I need a hug from a human being. Sometimes I need an encouraging word from a person that's sucking air, just like I am, to encourage one another. And so we need that. And so we, the, the depth that we find is gonna be based on the word. So then getting back to 2 Corinthians again, 10, 5, cast down arguments. <clears throat> now, most of these arguments are in your mind. Most of these arguments are in your mind. The, it, it's that thought, well, is it really true? You know, can that really happen? I mean, I, I remember when I was first saved. You know, when you're when you're saved, your spirit man is born again. You know, the Bible says, according to Romans 12, 2, that you gotta renew your mind by the word of God, the way you think about things. And the flesh, you gotta crucify the flesh. You gotta say no to the flesh, because the flesh will always wanna do what the flesh always done. But you know what? My mind wanted to think on what it had always thought on. And so in order for me to renew my mind, There were all kinds of arguments that would come against me that I had to cast down. You know, when I lived in Ankeny, Iowa, this before I was in the ministry, anything was just part of a Bible study down there, and I was considered for some reason an elder in this Bible study. And there was this, most of you have heard this story, but there was this little girl um, that fell on the playground, and uh, she was in a coma. And she was put in the hospital, and, and just prior to this, uh, my father-in-law, who had been, we had been praying for, you know, he, he had prostate cancer, and he went into remission once, and then it came back upon him. And uh, Harold had gone home to be with the Lord, and I know that he was home with the Lord because I had the privilege of leading him to Jesus, even though he was a pillar in the church. Of course, you know what a pillar is, don't you? It's something that's cold and hard. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> you know, but, but Harold, you know, had gone to church his entire life. When he, when he died, they didn't know what to do with the money in the church because he'd been the treasurer so long that they didn't know how anything operated because he had taken care of all of it. But here he is on his deathbed and he has absolutely no assurance of his salvation. And so I had the privilege of leading him uh, in a prayer and, and now we know that he's in the presence of Jesus and we know that he is uh, because he is on his deathbed and his son, Becky's brother-in-law, uh, he died at home, was was at the foot of the bed and uh, Harold looked up and he says, uh, Warren, who's, who's that with you? And Warren isn't, you know, this kind of an individual that would say this and he said it just popped out of his mouth. He says, oh, it's probably your angel. And he says, Oh yeah, and he laid back down, and shortly thereafter, his angel escorted him into heaven. Now, uh, now I, I don't know. I kind of like that. So, but anyway, so anyway, this this little girl went in, was in this coma, and, and so we went up to Iowa uh, Lutheran um, to see if we could, you know, because the family had given us three of us permission to go in, and and they were limited. You could only go in for like five minutes every half hour, or something like that. And so they wanted us gave us permission to go in in one of their slots and pray for this little girl and i was i was so convinced she was going to get up you know where jesus reached down to the little girl and said little girl rise up and i i was i was sure that was going to happen and she didn't and uh, eventually the word came back she she didn't make it she died she went home to be with the lord and 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 one of the guys came up to me afterwards one of the elders and he says I don't, I don't know if I'll ever be able to pray for anybody again. And I says, what do you mean? He says, I believe for your father's heal- father-in-law's healing. I believe for this little girl. And I says, but we don't, we don't base what we believe on our experience. We base what we believe on what the Word of God says. And so, if everybody that we pray, and by the way, if Jesus tarries, everybody that we pray for for healing is eventually going to die. Correct. It's appointed unto every man wants to die. And so everybody's... But, we, we continue to do it. Not because I see a manifestation, but because of the promise of God. Now this is how the argument works. When we were up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, uh, pastoring up there, there was... Uh, another Pentecostal church, we would, we would do a lot of meetings with them and so forth. And, and we were at uh, their church for a meeting and there was this lady, she had MS that was in that church. And uh, they, they, they literally had to bring her in, a, in an ambulance because she wasn't able to sit up or anything at this point any longer. And they would bring, and, and I knew the woman, she's a wonderful lady. And there were people in that church that their argument against healing was that if God would heal anybody, he would have healed this woman. Well, um, I don't know why she wasn't healed, but she wasn't. But there's one thing I know, that's by the stripes of Jesus, we've been healed. And it isn't based on experience. Now, we can, <clears throat> I, I've, I've shared the negative, you know. I, I've had a lot of, I've seen the other where people have been healed. I had a lady up in, in uh, Wapaka that I prayed for, and, and at the time when I prayed for her, I didn't know what I was praying for, but she had, there was cancer that was manifesting in her body. She was totally healed, set free of it. You know, had other things like that. I had a little girl. <clears throat> she was, I forget exactly what it was, but their parents called and wanted to know if we'd pray for her. And I said, well, you want me to come over? And they said, well, yeah. Her name was Buffy. She was just a cute little thing. And so I, I prayed for her. And, and before I left the house, she was running around. She was all better. And next day I get another call from them and She said, well, Buffy isn't feeling very good again. Would you pray for her? And I says, yeah. And I says, well, you want me to come over? And they said, well, she would really like you to. So I went over and prayed for Buffy. And she was, she was healed again. And, just, you know, and that took care of it that time. But see, so we, we've seen the other. But I don't base... praying for the sick upon the fact that we've seen healings manifest in people's lives. It's because of the Word of God, the truth that we have. And so, cast down the arguments. Those are all arguments that would try to come against you. And every high thing, because what is it doing? It's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And so, in other words, we've got to have a knowledge of God because the enemy is going to try to exalt himself against it gonna to try to say that he's higher he knows more and we've got to be willing to put that down it says bring every thought in the captivity let me tell you something it's difficult to do when you're in a time of crisis and somebody is is not looking so good it's it's difficult and you've got to cast down those arguments you've got to not allow the enemy to exalt anything against the knowledge of God You've gotta bring every one of those thoughts captive. Because let me tell you something, you may think that you're in a weird situation because you're the only one that has to deal with those thoughts. Let me tell you something, everybody does. Everybody does. And so we have to be willing uh, to cast them down. But also, that's why we've gotta, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And that's in in the continuous present tense. And the reason that it's in the continuous present tense is because we've got to constantly hear the Word of God. Because if we don't, doubt and unbelief will start to rise up. And it'll begin to come against us. You know, doubt and unbelief, let's just address this while we're at it. Doubt and unbelief are not the same. Two words are used because they have two different effects in our life. Doubt is a result of a lack of knowledge, a lack of information. Well, you know by the stripes of Jesus you've been healed. Well, I doubt that. It's because you haven't studied out the word to see how Jesus' life, uh, his ministry, was healing the sick, casting out devils, and he said to you and I, just prior to his exit, that we would go and we'd do the same thing, that we were to lay hands on the sick and see him recover, that we were to cast out devils. And and so it's a lack of, of information. Unbelief, to me, unbelief is worse because unbelief is making a choice. Unbelief is choosing not to believe. And every one of us have probably encountered that with somebody when we've shared the gospel with them. At the end, we ask if they want to uh, prayer, pray and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they say, no, I don't think that's for me. Or they, they, what is that? That's unbelief. They're saying, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah, it does. They choose not to believe that it applies to them because the Word of God has been presented to them. And so we need to take control. In Galatians there, um, you can read that later for yourself. Galatians 5, that's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things are so important in our life. And those are graces that have been, that have been imparted into our lives. And what we do is we're to see them develop. Love, joy, peace, patience. It isn't just that all of a sudden one day, I just have this tremendous patience. No, it's, it's developed. The way that it's developed is through the Word of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That means it grows. It's the fruit. It's not the root. The root is Jesus. The root is the Word of God. And as we receive that, it's going to grow and it's going to produce in our lives. Uh, in James, the first chapter of the 14th and the 15th verses says, <clears throat> and this is how sin manifests in our life. This is how temptation works. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You know what? You can't be tempted with something that you don't have a desire for. And so you know what? The enemy, he knows how to manipulate and maneuver us. And so he says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away. What are we drawn away from? We're drawn away from the things of God drawn away by our own desires we oftentimes want to blame everybody else but the desire has to be within within me and that desire is generally created by what i've heard and by what i've seen that's why the bible tells us that we need to guard our our ear gate and our eye gates we need to guard what we see and what we hear because that's what has impact in our life, and that's what creates desires. You know, I never had a desire for a 2019 Lexus SE until they sent me the email today. There was a desire that was created within me, but my wife quenched it that quick so it's completely gone but see there was no I hadn't I'd never thought about you hear me i would never thought about a beautiful white Lexus SE 2019 until I saw the picture And that's how it works. That's what the enemy wants to do in our life in every area. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away with his desire and enticed. Then when desire is conceived. My wife made sure I had a miscarriage on that one. When my desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. See, that's where it all starts. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. What does it mean by death? Does it mean we die? No, it means we're separated. It begins to separate us from the things of God. That's what we see today. We see the separation taking place. We see people not as interested in spiritual things as they once were. There's a separation that's taken place. And it's, it's by desire they're being enticed, they're being pulled away. It's given birth to sin and that sin is producing death or it's producing the separation. Every time you have a negative emotion, whether it be sadness, anger, fear, strife, or any of the others, they conceive something. That's why we need to guard our hearts. We need to make sure we don't allow any strife. You know, I believe the number one tool that the enemy wants to use is strife and so we've got to guard ourselves against that and so give it no place John 10 10 it says that the thief has come but for to steal kill and destroy Jesus says I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly remember hearing Oral Roberts speak one time and he says you know my theology is very simple does it steal, kill, and destroy? If it does, it's not of God. If it brings life and life abundantly, it's God. And that's pretty simple, but it's also pretty clear. And so we need to be aware. Be aware that we're in a spiritual battle, that we have an adversary that's roaming about like a roaring lion. What he's doing is he's seeking someone to, desire, uh, to, uh, to destroy. To devour, But it's not going to be you and it's not going to be me because we're not going to give him any place. Because we're aware of his tactics. We're going to become even more aware of his tactics. You know, right now we're, we're talking about the enemy and so forth. Uh, and it's, it's because we've got to know who our enemy is. But, you know, as we go along here, we're going to be talking more about the authority that we have and how to apply that authority and so forth. But, you know, first of all, we've got to realize that we have an adversary and that he, uh, he's not going to have any victory over us and we're not going to give him any place. He's a deceiver. He wants us to think that he has power in our life and he doesn't. You and I, we belong to Jesus Christ, he's our Lord and Savior, and so the enemy has no right to us. But we have to recognize his tactics to not give him place. So Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We ask your blessing as we go from this place that you would guide us and direct us. Father, cause us to be sensitive to your Spirit, that we'd be aware of our surroundings, that we'd give the enemy no opportunity to bring destruction into our lives. Father, we want you to be lifted up. We want you to be glorified. We want to serve you and you alone. And so now we thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Have your will accomplished in each of our lives. In his name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.